Oh, thank you, Dave. I appreciate that. This is not my son. Uh, this is Josh. Josh is traveling with me today. Uh, one of the young guys from our church. My wife is actually speaking at our church in Elliott. So uh, I made other arrangements to have Josh come with me. So it's good. It's good to be here, though. Uh, I know some of you. I, I've met some of you and heard uh, our shared history and stories. Mrs. Campbell, like I can't even call her Jean like Mrs. Campbell still. Uh, pretty sure when I was about this big, I remember her teaching me in some Sunday school classes way back in the day at our church when, when we were in Carnegie. So uh, there is some shared history. It's good to see some of you and, and to meet others of you for the first time. I appreciate it a lot. Uh, I, I do pastor a church. My grandkids, he mentioned grandkids. They've, they've been having birthdays just when I had locked down the ages. Like I knew I could tell people, oh, they're, they're seven, four, two, and nine months. And they started having birthdays, so it's really got me messed up. But that's, that's about the age. The oldest one just turned eight, so uh, I am not old enough to have kids that age. It's scary. I was telling somebody, did you ever grow up and, and you'd hear people say, oh, that, that makes me feel old? And you always wondered when you were younger, like, what's that feel like? Why are they saying that? I've had a lot more of those moments recently in life of just getting on, on that place of, wow, this, this really is what it meant when they said, oh, I feel so old because I have kids and grandkids that are eight now, but it's good to be here with you this morning. Um, I know at, at our church, my, I'm not a yeller. My, my primary gift is, is teacher, and I usually try to stay in that lane, and uh, I have a, a pretty diverse congregation in the city there, and, and I have some of the ladies that come from the neighborhoods in the city, and uh, some of their contexts that they've been in churches are people that are really charismatic, emotional, over the top, and they'll come and tell me things like, Pastor Chris, we love you because you just tell us what the Bible says and you don't yell at us all the time. <laughs> so that's, that's not me if you're expecting something else, but I, I, that's my gifting, so I try to do that. As I was praying about what to share this week, uh, and usually I'm, I'm really, I love the Word, I'm, I'm always in the Bible, I'm always thinking of these things I can teach and try to make them practical, and, and we're going to read a couple verses this morning, but as I was praying this week, I really felt like God wanted me to just come share some stories with you guys, and, and tell you stories about my life. It, it, may, it may sound a little bit like I'm talking about myself, but I'm really talking about Jesus, and what he's done in my life is I've had the privilege and the honor to walk beside him, and, and see how he moves in my life. So I wanted to share with you just some, some God moments some things that, that may seem natural or look natural on the surface and some things that may be just miraculous supernatural occurrences like, wow, how did that happen? Uh, but they are all testimonies that are part of my story and part of my journey. And, and as I was thinking this morning, I, I tell our people all the time, one of the most effective tools for evangelism is listening to people. Have you ever heard that before? The, the old, what's the cliche God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason. He wants you to use one more than twice as much as the other. God loves when we listen to people and it values them and we get to hear their story. But at some point also, there comes a moment when we need to share what God has done in our lives. There, there is a story that God is writing in this earth and each of us are a part of it and he's given each of us a part to play in that and he's developing a story in us that at some point we need to come to grips with it, honor him for it, and share it with people because it's encouraging, it stirs faith. Maybe no part of how we overcome, the book of Revelation says, is by the, the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. There, there is something about actually sharing with people what God is doing in 
your life that stirs faith and helps us walk overcoming lives. So I'm going to start right in with sharing a few stories uh, about my family. My dad, and some of you in this room have come up to me already this morning and said, I knew your dad. I remembered him. Thank you, thank you, thank you. They, they are big shoes to fill. My dad was bigger than life. I'm, I'm, I'm about six feet even. My dad was six two. And, and on the north side of 300 pounds for most of his life. And he was not just big in stature, but people always tell me, your dad filled the room. He, he was just larger than life when he walked into a place. Well, my dad got saved when I was five. He was 31. How many of you know that is miraculous? The, the, the most studies you can go out and read, they, the percentages are different, but it says anywhere from, from 75 to 85 or 90% of people that get saved do it before they're 18. And so that, that's a very small percentage, very small window for people that actually meet Jesus later in life as adults. It, by the time you're an adult, you're kind of set in your ways. You've got your beliefs. You've got your things you're doing with your life. And it really is miraculous for God to break into your life in that moment. So dad got saved when he was 31 and he got radically transformed. I've, I've met guys that worked with my dad before he got saved. And they, they would, in fact, I've got a couple of them in the church that, that worked with my dad before he got saved. And they'll tell me stories. I didn't like your dad at all. <laughs> like when I first met him, he was not a nice man. Uh, you know how some people will tell you how they were raised. You know, I was brought up in a Catholic church or I was born in a Baptist church or whatever it is. My dad was full on heathen. Like that's what he would tell people. He's like, I didn't want anything to do with God. I was running the other direction from God. And so dad really did get radically transformed. The people that knew him best said, your dad was a completely different person. They, they said, I knew exactly when he met Jesus because I saw him before and I saw him after and it wasn't the same guy. And why, why do I tell you dad's story? You know, he, he really, he got saved in a Baptist church. Uh, my, my mom was, was raised Baptist, and, and when she met my dad, I don't know what she was thinking. Because if you met my mom now, you, you, and, and how my dad was back then, you would think, how did you ever end up with this guy? But mom got with my dad, and then they weren't going to church. She, she kind of gravitated over towards dad's way of thinking. But when I was born, she realized, I need to get my son back in church. And so mom, because of her Baptist upbringing, she found a little Baptist church in Crafton and started taking me there and, and started getting plugged in. And they were praying for my dad. She had, she had put him on the prayer list like, hey, we, you need to pray for my husband. He needs Jesus. And uh, through a course of events, my mom ended up in the hospital. And uh, she was in the hospital for a few days. And I remember his name was Pastor Morford. This, this skinny, skinny little Baptist guy. You know, my dad's 6'2", 300 pounds. Well, this Baptist pastor was like 5'8", and not as big as my dad. And so he comes to my dad's house and wants, wants to just meet him and share Jesus with him. And my dad says, the only reason I let that guy in the door is because he was being nice to my wife. He's like, otherwise, I would have just said, you know, keep going. Don't let the door hit you in the butt. And so he lets this pastor in, and, and he shares with him. And my dad said, thank you very much, but no thanks. You know, sent him on his way out the door. Thanks for being nice to my wife. And uh, my dad said he couldn't sleep for three days. He, he felt like somebody had stuck a sword in his heart, is what his words were. He says, I knew if what that guy was saying was true, I needed to do something about it. 
because I wasn't living like they were talking about, and I didn't know Jesus. So dad got saved, walks in the Baptist church, and, and all these Baptist guys, they're stunned. He, he shows up on a Saturday to help paint the nursery. You know, here's this guy that was actually, you know, antagonistic towards Christianity. They'd been praying for him, and he shows up to say, here I am to help serve, and they didn't know how to process that. What do I do with that? And so dad got saved and, and really got on fire for Jesus. Why, why do I share dad's story? as part of my own testimony. Because when when dad met Jesus, a godly legacy was released into our family. And and I wouldn't be standing in this place today, I wouldn't be pastoring the church I'm pastoring if God hadn't met my dad in that moment. And so sometimes we, we take it for granted, we don't understand or even realize it, but sometimes God starts working on our story before we're even aware of it or have done anything to deserve it. He starts putting things in motion. He starts ordering things. He starts setting people up when, when we are far from him and not even thinking about him. But because of that testimony, because of my dad meeting Jesus in that way, it released something into our family that now I have kids and grandkids that are all serving Jesus and loving him and, and doing things and on fire for the Lord. But it started with dad opening the door to a little Baptist pastor and listening to what he had to say. And so it went on. Uh, dad, dad got uh, filled with the Spirit, interestingly enough, from a Baptist itinerant person. Some, somebody who was a Baptist came to speak at their Baptist church in Crafton, and my dad ends up getting filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues the whole nine yards, believing that God is, is alive and well and, and actually feeling his presence. And obviously, uh, Dad got asked to leave the Baptist church after that. There, there, there was not uh, a good fit at that time in life of, of being, having a dynamic, spirit-filled life and, and staying in that Baptist church. So he ended up coming to the church that I pastor now. And so this is all part of my story before I was even aware of it, before I even deserved it. God's working and ordering things. We find out later uh, our church is, is in a building that was formerly occupied by the Lorenz Avenue Baptist Church. In, in the middle of Elliot. We're right on the top of a hill on a corner. We found out later the Baptist church in Crafton, where my dad got saved, was a church plant from the Lorenz Avenue Baptist Church. And, and it's the building that we're now in that dad pastored and moved the church into. So God, don't underestimate God being at work. He is always moving things. Hey, I'm going to need this 50 years from now. I'm going to move this into position right now. God is a genius. He's doing it in my life. He's doing it in your life too. And we just need to look for and honor him. Uh, so through the course of growing up in the church, uh, it's, it's been an interesting journey uh, to actually pastor a church that you grew up in. Uh, I do have uh, some people in the church. They've been there for 40 years. They remember me when I was this tall. Uh, I had a little stretch of time where, where I moved and lived in Virginia, and even that, I can see the hand of God in, in retrospect. Uh, I graduated from the University of Pittsburgh in 1991, and if you were looking for a job in 1991, you can appreciate that Pittsburgh was a difficult place to be seeking employment at that time. Were, in, were any of you in that situation like I was? Uh, fresh out of school, no experience, you know, all the jobs that were listed said, we want experience, you have to be able to do this. And I'm thinking, how do you get a job? And I really didn't want to move. I, I, 
that how many of you know there is something about being from Pittsburgh that it's like you can't sometimes picture being anywhere else. I'd, I'd never met people that had traveled as much as when I left Pittsburgh. You know, I thought everybody born in Pittsburgh just stayed in Pittsburgh their whole life. And that, that's kind of where I was. But I knew, hey, I need a job. <laughs> so, so I need to expand my horizons and start looking. And I had an aunt that lived in Virginia. And at, at the time, uh, mom, my mom and I went down on a vacation. I was being a good son, driving my mom to go see her sister. And uh, there, was a, there was a hospital in Virginia, in the place where my aunt lived. And they, I had applied for a job there only because somehow they advertised in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, which the Post-Gazette, six months after I had this situation, they went on strike and didn't even publish one ads for you know the next eight months or something. Uh, all these things that I see God just, he set it all up. Uh, we go to Virginia with my mom, and my mom kicked me in the pants. Why don't you just go over there in person and see what's going on at the hospital and, and see, ask about a job there? The, the moment, the day I went into the hospital to go see what was going on, <clears throat> the, uh, there was a girl in the department that I was applying for a job in. Uh, she, well, two things happened that morning. They offered the job to somebody else. So there, there was not a job that morning at 8 a.m. when they called uh, my friend and made him this offer. An hour later, the girl that was in the department doing the same work, she tendered her resignation. And then an hour after she gave her resignation, I walked in the door asking about the same job. So it was, it was just, I see the hand of God and providence in it. You know, I'm, I'm there on vacation in my jeans and a t-shirt and the lady's asking me, hey, we have another opening. Can you come meet with the CFO this afternoon? <laughs> no, let, let me go to the mall. Let me go buy new clothes. Uh, I, you know, I had nothing with me for dress clothes or anything related to that. But through the course of events, I ended up getting a job, moving to Virginia, uh, had got connected with a great church. I, I didn't realize it at the time, you know, because I was working a secular job in a hospital. And the whole time this is happening, I'm in a church, one of the youth leaders. We end up being uh, over the youth ministry. We're on the worship team. We're leading small groups. I ended up being an elder in the church there, not realizing, hey, this is all on-the-job training for God is, is calling you into the ministry, you're going to pastor a church some, somewhere. And uh, rather than going through the book learning side of it, which, which I appreciate book learning, I read a lot, but rather than the book learning side, God put me through boot camp of you're, you're seeing how it works firsthand and you're getting a glimpse of every aspect of the ministry. You know what struggles the, the kids workers are going through. You know what the dynamics of a worship team are. You know how to lead the church governmentally. So God really did all that. And, uh, you know, from the day that I moved to Virginia, my dad called me, like, almost every week, probably at least once a month, he would say something like, when are you going to come back to Pittsburgh and help us with the church? And, and you know, there, there are times I, I wasn't running from any call of God, but when we were in Virginia in the church we were in, God had clearly spoke to me. Like, as, as much as I'm sitting here listening to you guys and you're listening to me, I heard God say, you're to help that pastor succeed. And I hadn't been released from that. He, you know, I knew I was there to be a support. Even if nobody else in the church was going to do it, my wife and I were going to be there, and we were going to help him succeed. And through the course of events, uh, Dave mentioned that my dad got ill, and he passed away. Uh, dad, got, dad got sick in 2007, and that was when uh, we really started praying. God, is, is this the time? Is this the move we should make? Or, are we supposed to leave Virginia and go back to Pittsburgh? And 
God spoke to me again. We, we had guests come to our church to minister, and, and sure, again, it was one of those moments, and, and I'm not talking audible voice, but it, you, know, you know how you have those impressions, just like, I know this wasn't me that just spoke to me. This, this was God speaking to me by his spirit. Uh, when those guests came in, the Lord said, their coming is the beginning of your going, and you need to say yes to, to go back to Pittsburgh. And so in that moment, you know, I called dad, told him, yes, we'll, we'll do it. We didn't know how it was going to work. We didn't know what our kids were going to say, how it was, where are we going to live? What are we going to do? But we said yes. And uh, in December of 2008, sitting in my dad's living room, you know, my dad that grew up as far from Jesus as anybody could possibly be, got saved miraculously through the ministry of a Baptist pastor. We're sitting in my dad's living room and he and the elders laid hands on me and set me in as the pastor of the church, ordained me and all this. And my dad uh, said, I feel like I've done everything I needed to do in life. I, I'm so happy right now that I'm, I'm ready to go. And it was about two and a half weeks later that my dad passed and, and went home to be with Jesus. And uh, so that's, that's kind of the, the providential working of God that I see in my life. Obviously, there's, I could tell you more stories all day, but I know uh, Dave told me I only get to talk till six o'clock tonight, right? Is that what? Where? That's, that's an old pastor trick. You get to the end of your sermon and you're like, who will give me five more minutes? And like everybody raises their hand, then you start counting five, 10, 15, 20. I, I, I have no idea, but I know, I know the clock is up there. So I'm looking at it and we will go to lunch with those the ladies will get to China Buffet soon enough. It will be good. What do, what do you have to do to get in on that meeting? Is it? <laughs> um, I'm good. I'll, I'll, I have eaten there. I will confess that. That is uh, up front. I'll tell you. It's a good place. So there, there's more. And, and I hope that you have stories like that, that you've seen, uh, whether you knew it while it was happening at the time or in retrospect, you can look back at your life and you see this was the hand of God ordering and directing me. How, how did those things happen? How, how did I get to that place in life where I know that God has been involved in my story and my process the whole time? Uh, here's, I promised you we'd get to a verse because I know you got to read a verse to make it a legal meeting. Uh, so here's Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. And, and you guys all know this one. Uh, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. I can see providential hand of God in my life. I can see things working and coming together because it started with me acknowledging him. I, I look at the order of my steps. I look at what's happened in my life and I say, thank you, God. I see how you've done this. And because I do that, I can trust that he's going to continue that process. My steps are going to be ordered because I've taken the time to say, Lord, I see your hand at work. I acknowledge you. I know I can't figure this out. I could not make some of these stories I'm telling you happen in my own strength. Even if I sat down, I had a hundred years to plan it. I couldn't work out the details the way God does. And it starts with us just acknowledging that he's in it and that he cares enough about us to be involved in the details of our lives. Have you ever met somebody, this, this bothers me sometimes, have you ever met somebody that they won't pray because they think, well, God's too busy to be caring about my stuff. Like he's, you know, that conflict in the Middle East and that thing over there, and the, like God's got bigger things. No, he, he can handle all of it at one time. And he cares about even the details of our lives so much that he would put a verse and a promise in there that says, if you just acknowledge me, 
You're not going to have to worry. I'm, you, you just put one foot in front of the other and trust that I'm going to order your steps and that you're going to follow me as, as you walk with me. Uh, how many of you have ever heard of Larry Kreider? One, one person. He wrote a book uh, that, that I have given away so many times that I end up, I just keep like five copies in my office and give it away. Uh, he wrote a book called Hearing God 30 Different Ways. And, and obviously, you know, there's, God could speak more than 30 ways, but there's, there's about 30 prominent ones in the Bible that he kind of lays out. Hey, if, if you're wondering how does God speak to people, here are some different ways. I've given this book to people. They've come to my office and they've said, Pastor, I, I don't know what God wants me to do. I, he doesn't talk to me. Why doesn't he talk to me the way that you talk about him talking to you? I give him this book. I said, go read this and come back and meet with me next week. And almost every time they go read the book and they come back and they say, God talks to me all the time. <laughs> I wasn't aware of it, but God's speaking. Like, and now I know what his voice sounds like and I hear it. And, and one of the things I appreciate about Larry Kreider's book is he, he talks about this concept of there being three lighthouses. He says, like you're, like you're a ship coming into a port, you know, and you don't want to run on the rocks. You've got to line up the lighthouses in front of each other. And he talks about these three lighthouses. He says, if, if it lines up with the Bible... You know, that, that is number one. Nothing, nothing God will speak to you will ever violate the principles in this book. He's like, if it lines up with the Bible, if you have peace about it, and if you see the circumstances lining up where doors are opening, you can trust that you're hearing God's voice. And, and there is a lot of stuff in our lives that I think if, if we would just get to that point where we say, man, I know scripturally I'm okay. I have peace about what's going on in my life, and I can see these doors opening. And, and I'm going to keep walking through him and trust that because I've acknowledged him, he's directing my path. I think, I think we would save our, ourselves a lot of hassle and heartache if we would just even get those three things down. God, I, I know you're going to lead me and you've promised it, and, and I'm following after you with all my heart. It really does simply start with acknowledging him. Lord, even before I was born or aware of it, Lord, even before I knew I needed to know you, you moved in my dad's life. Thank you. And that's, that's a simple act of acknowledgement that releases his direction and his, his leading in our lives. Uh, so I think those things happen individually, but I think we also see the providential hand of God moving in our churches corporately. We, we can trust that as we acknowledge him as a body of believers, he's also going to direct the steps of our church. Uh, we, as I, as I mentioned, we ended up, uh, we used to be located in Carnegie uh, from 73 to 89, somewhere in there, and we moved to Elliott. Uh, we moved out of the Carnegie Library building, and we moved to Elliott in 89, 90, somewhere around there. And, and literally, and, and we always joke about this happening, and, and people, you know, should I ever say this or say something like this? Literally, when my dad was driving around with my mom looking for another location for the church, uh, because before Nevillewood was, uh, there was some property that our church was this close to closing on that would have been like right in the middle of where that subdivision is and it fell through the guy backed out at the last minute and so dad's driving around with mom what do we do now and they're driving through the city they drove past the building in Elliot and dad literally looked at my mom and said this is the last place I would ever want to move the church. How many of you have ever heard a story like that? Don't tell God, I don't want to go to Africa, or I don't want to sell this, or whatever, you know, because he'll take you up on that, like, oh, it's, it's like a challenge or something. He looked at my mom and said, this is the last place I would ever want to move the church, and guess where we ended up? We ended up in the Lorenz Avenue Baptist Church in the middle of Elliott, in the middle of the city, and uh, it's been an amazing journey ever since, but it was God moving and orchestrating our steps. And so over the years, we've done a lot of things in the community, 
community, we've, we've developed some different things. We, we do programs with the community group. Uh, we're in the middle of praying one morning as, as the eldership team. And, uh, you know, in, in some of our, our charismatic type of circles, we're, we're good at praying great prayers, right? Like, God, give us the city. We believe every place our foot will tread, you've given to us. How many of you ever prayed a prayer like that? How many of you, and, and sometimes we would go prayer walk, you know, through the streets. You know, hey, we're walking up and down Elliot. You know, this is, this, our foot is treading right here. God, you've given us this ground. And in the middle of doing some stuff like that, one, one day as the eldership, God begins to speak to us. And he's like, you just going to pray about possessing the land? Or are you actually going to possess some of it? What? <laughs> do we ever do that with the Lord? It's like, but, but God, that, what you're talking about actually sounds like work and, and finances would be required and, and we'd have to get our hands dirty. And that was what God was speaking. So through, through the course of some events, we're prayer walking, we're declaring those things. We heard the Lord say, hey, you got to start looking to expand your footprint here in the middle of Elliot. And uh, so we started looking at some buildings. Oh, in the middle of looking at buildings, oh, I can't, I don't even know, this is not a great story, but in the middle of looking at buildings, I get sick. We're, we're literally walking around Elliot with a realtor, and I'm like, I got to go home, and, and I, I didn't get there the first night, but they showed us this building that used to belong to the Knights of Columbus, and it was in horrible shape. Like, it rained as much inside as it rained outside. You know, they, they had all these buckets in the ceiling, and the drop ceiling had collapsed. It was, it was in terrible shape, but God said, hey, this is the one. It's like, oh, God, this, you know, the first thing you spoke to us really sounded like work, but now that I've actually walked through it, I know this is work, and this, I don't, I want to hold my nose, like, I don't even want to walk back in here. Uh, the Knights of Columbus, they, they still had, it was like two floors, and they had bingo every Friday night, and it, it literally had come down to this, this one older guy and, and five or six little ladies that gathered every Friday night to play bingo for a dollar a card or something like that. And, you know, of course, we're, we're thinking about getting the building, and that's the first question is, could we still have bingo? <laughs> and, uh, I'm going to say no right now, and, and we'll talk later, but uh, we purchased the building, and, and again, it was just God directing our steps. Uh, we renovated it to the point where, you know, some of the Knights of Columbus people have walked back in the building, and they start weeping, just, oh, this is what we would have done for the community if we would have had the money and the resources. And, and so it's been a blessing to the community. And it's also put us, you know, we sit at the top of a hill, but this community center is kind of more down where the action is. You know, you have to really put in the effort to get up the hill to walk to our church, but you can go right in where that is. And so we're, we're in the middle of thinking about buying this building, which was going to need all these renovations. The, the lady that was the president of the Elliott community group calls me up. She knows we're looking at a building and all this. She says, hey, the, the lot right across the street from your building where you always do your church outreaches in the community, it's for sale and you should buy it. She says, I'd rather that your church had it than anybody else buy it and do something different with it. So we're in the middle of this. I, I call the guy. He, he makes a great deal for us. It's less than it was assessed at. While we're in the middle of buying that building, we're buying the lot right across the street. He calls me back and says, you know, I have this other lot around the corner. Can I just throw it into the deal? For, for I don't want any extra money. I just want to stop paying taxes and be responsible for mowing the grass. Can I just give it to you as part of this? So, so all because we, we acknowledge the Lord, trusted that he's directing our, our path, 
and we're just obedient to take steps one foot in front of the other. And it was kind of cool because uh, getting some of those properties opened the door to do joint projects with the Elliott Community Group where we've, we, we made a veteran's garden, we put up some fences and some nice flowers. So we've, we've done things in the community and we really had this great relationship. And a story that, that I felt was, was connected to this the lady that was the president of the Elliott Community Group really loved the city. She loved the community. Uh, she got sick. She, she had some kind of disease that she'd been battling for several years, and it started to go downhill pretty quick. She comes to talk to me. Or actually, she didn't even seek me out. She, she was bedridden at the moment. I went to her house, and, and I'm in the living room sitting with her, and she's, she's really going downhill. She says, Chris, I want you to do my funeral. And this, this lady, she was raised Catholic. We'd, we had talked before. She, she had some crazy ideas about God. You ever, you ever meet people that got crazy ideas about God? Everybody has an opinion about God. And some of it is Bible and some of it's not. She had some crazy ideas about what God was like. But she loved Jesus. Because in all the things that we talked about, she knew, hey, what Jesus did on the cross was for me. And, and, and I love him more than anything else, even with these other crazy ideas she had. Like, you know, as far as I'm reading scripture, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, you're saved. Like, she knew Jesus was hers, and, and that was what was important. But, but she had been raised Catholic, and she says, you know, I don't, I don't even go half the time anymore. They don't know what's going on in my life. You love the community. You love me. You've been here for me even when I was sick. So I said, I said, yes, you know, what are you going to say to the, the, the lady on her, near her deathbed when she's asking you to come do her funeral? So I end up, do you ever have how did I get here moments? I, I find that we often have how did I get here moments when we're in the middle of just going along with the story that God's writing in our lives. We, we may not even be aware of it, but all of a sudden, like, you've directed my steps and I ended up here. Like, like, how did I get here? I'm, I'm at the West End Overlook. If you've ever seen the postcards of the city that look down towards the fountain, the, the better view of Pittsburgh than Mount Washington, that's what we tell people. Uh, that's right at the other end of the street that our church is on. You know, here's our church is in one, on the top of the hill on one side. You go down the hill and back up, and there's the West End Overlook. And they have a building there that you can rent. Uh, you know, would, would seat a bunch of people. It's, it's really just a concrete floor and bathrooms, but uh, they use it for different community events. I'm in there. They wanted to have a memorial service for this lady in that building. So there's, there's 170 people crammed into the, the, the thing at the Overlook. Uh, her family members are there. Some of, you know, family members that some of them are living godly lifestyles. Some of them really aren't. And, and we're all in this place together. And I, I led with that. I actually said, did you ever have a how did I get here moment? And, and I got to share with them. I got to honor their, their mother, grandmother, friend, neighbor, whatever she was to the people in the room. I got to honor her and just share my story also of saying, hey, I'm here because, G, because Gina loved the community and she loved Jesus. And, and we talked about it a lot, and, and I, got to say, I got to comfort people and say, you know, out of all the things she believed and talked about, I'm confident that I'll get to see Gina again one day because I knew she knew Jesus. And, and so there it is, you know, just trusting that God is ordering your steps and being willing to go along with that will get you in some places where you're like, how did I get here? But it starts with just acknowledging him and trusting that he's directing our paths. And he does that individually and he does it corporately also. And uh, I know that beyond just going with the flow, because there, there are a lot of things that I think if, if we just kind of 
stop trying to figure it out and make our own plan and just go along with God's, he'll direct it. And it's almost like jumping in a river, you know, that, that you just kind of, you go along with the current. And I know that there is an aspect of seeing that happen in our lives, but I also know God wants to break in supernaturally in our lives sometimes. There, there are things besides just going with the flow, there are things we need to be very intentional about asking God to do and to see in our lives. And that's, those are more what I would call uh, miraculous moments or supernatural moments. How many of you have ever seen somebody that's, they, they get uncomfortable with the word supernatural? Uh, I've, I've met people, they have this idea of it's spooky, you know, or come on, I think Hollywood has done the biggest disservice in terms of painting supernatural events for the world because they think it's like that. And really, in the kingdom and what God wants to do in our lives, supernatural simply means things that you couldn't produce yourself. You know, there, there is no natural way to explain them other than God intervened in this situation. And I think we need to take supernatural out of the realm of spooky and bring it into, this is part of my everyday life because the, the God of the universe, the Holy Spirit full of fire and power lives right here in me. And everywhere I go, he goes with me and I should be looking for stuff to happen. Uh, you guys, are you okay for a couple more stories? Everybody's nod at me. You're not... I got five. Everybody gives me five minutes. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, so, so besides kind of the, the providential stuff that God's done in my life, I wanted to share a couple supernatural, miraculous moments. Some, some may be from the mission field. Some are from here because the mission field is not the only place we're called to experience supernatural stuff. Amen. All right, so you're with me. I'm in the right place this morning. Uh, you know, it really did start for me early. Uh, when I was five or six, I, I was diagnosed with a perforated eardrum. Had a big hole right in my, in my eardrum. Uh, I don't know uh, if Dad had been filled with the Spirit yet. I, I suspect he was. I don't know if it was at the Baptist church or if we had made the move to the other church. Uh, but literally, you know, the doctor's looking in there. Hey, we need to do something about this. Bring him back next week. My parents prayed for me. Mom took me back to the doctor. The doctor says, Mrs. Mays, you know, tell me again which year it was that we were looking at because I don't see anything going on in here. So, so there, there were like things breaking in early like that. Uh, I, I distinctly have a memory in my mind of, of my dad working on the hot water heater in our basement. And I'm standing there next to him and, and he says, what are you doing? And I, and I said, oh, I'm just praying in tongues. You know, so I have memories like this through my whole life of, of just God being there with me all the time and, and moving through me. Uh, there was a man in Virginia that I prayed for. His name was Harry. He was an older gentleman. And uh, how, many of, how many of you guys, you know your PSA number? Like, you, that's something they check at the doctor because they're checking to see if you have prostate cancer. Uh, the normal range for your PSA number, I know everybody's like, hey, I want to go to church and I'm here in medical class. Uh, the, the normal range for your PSA number is less than four. Like, if it starts getting over four, the doctor's very concerned about, you might have prostate cancer, we need to do more. Uh, Harry comes to, to talk to me at church one Sunday. He's coming up afterwards for prayer. He says, he says Chris, I just went to the doctor, and my PSA score was 19.7. And they're like, they're telling me I got prostate cancer, and I don't know what to do. I said, well, I know what to do. <laughs> we're we're going to pray and, and see what God will do. So I started praying for Harry. Harry went back to the doctor uh, like two weeks later, he comes back to see me at church, and, and he's, he's grinning like, you know, the butcher's dog or whatever example you want to use. I don't know. He comes and tells me, I went back to the doctor, and my PSA number was 2.7. <laughs> and, and so it's like, well, we're going to acknowledge God because he just did a miracle in your body. And, and those things, I think, we, we shouldn't 
we shouldn't be surprised when they happen because we serve a great God. We should rejoice and be excited about them happening, but it shouldn't be like, I think the surprise ought to be, oh, when we pray and something doesn't happen. That, that ought to be the abnormal thing, but, but God is a big God, and he loves to do these kind of things. Uh, I had, it doesn't always work out the way we think it's going to work out, though, does it? So sometimes God answers in different ways than we're anticipating when we pray. Uh, we, had, we had a lady named Doris in our church uh, that uh, she got diagnosed early last year with pancreatic cancer. And uh, it, it wasn't a very good diagnosis. They didn't catch it early at all. And that's, that's a very serious disease to, to begin with. And we started praying for Doris, though. We're like, God, we believe, you know, we're going to pray. We're going to expect to see something happen. Uh, Doris passed away in March. And, and it, was, it was difficult. Um, you know, pancreatic cancer is actually what my dad had. So I had that whole mess going on in my mind that was wrestling with me. Uh, but during the whole process, we'd go pray for Doris. And she'd be laying in her bed just, I love everybody. I love you, Pastor Chris. I, please tell the people in church. And I'm, I'm just thinking, oh, dear God, you know, if I ever got in that way, I hope that's what would come out of me. You know, just, just to tell people how much I love them and just to know that, that Jesus is still good no matter what I'm going through. And, and what was interesting, even though we didn't see Doris get up off of that bed, she still passed away. One thing that we'd been praying for for years since Doris had been in our church, she would always come up to me and say, Pastor Chris, my family never talks to each other. They're, they're all estranged. My kids, my grandkids, they hate each other. I don't know why they get along. And, and every week she would come up and say, will you pray for my family to get back together? Guess, guess what happened during the course of Doris being ill? And, and so we didn't see a physical healing of Doris being delivered from pancreatic cancer, but her family came back together and began to talk to each other. And, and it, it still may be a work in progress. There, there's a lot of past that they need to overcome. But during the course of Doris being ill, God still did a miracle. You know, those, those things happen. My dad, when he was battling his, his fight with cancer, he was in and out of the hospital several times. One night, we're, we're sitting in the room with my dad. He's in, he's in critical care and, and some things that had come up. And we're sitting here talking to him. And the nurse comes and says, hey, you, you need to go out for a minute. We're having shift change. We need to give report, and, and we can't have family members around while we're doing that. So we go out to the waiting room for, you know, 15 minutes, not, not very long at all. Dad, we just talked to him completely normal. We come back in after being in the waiting room for 15 minutes, and Dad's left side of his face is, like, all droopy like this, and he's slurring his speech, and he can't move his, his left arm. Dad had a stroke. In, in that 15-minute window while we're not in the room with him, he had this stroke, and it was like, it was unnerving, you know, because he's sitting here looking, looking as normal as Dave, like I'm looking at him, and, and then we come back 15 minutes later, and it's like, man, this isn't really my dad. What's going on here? We prayed for dad, and so, so this is what's crazy, and this is why I don't know why God answers the way he does all the time, but I know he answers. Uh, we prayed for dad. He still passed away from pancreatic cancer, but he went home two days later from the hospital after having the stroke and played his guitar, like at home playing worship songs on his guitar, went back to see the neurologist, and the neurologist said, I know you had a stroke because I was there, and this is, I'm an expert, this is my field. He's like, but anybody else that would come see you would have no idea that you had that happen. 
So I don't know why some, some things get answered the way we want them to and the way we don't. I just, I just know we have to ask. We have to pray. We have to do our part. And, you know, I tell our people in our congregation all the time, I know how many people will get healed if, if nobody prays for anybody. Big fat zero. Because people use that as an excuse. You know, they're reluctant to pray for people to get healed or whatever because they're like, well, what if God doesn't do it? Well, what if he does? You know, what if you pray for somebody and you see some incredible miracle happen? Wouldn't that be really cool? Like, we got to get past some of this stuff. Even if God doesn't always move the way we think he's going to move, he's going to do something. And if we look for it, we're going to see it in the situation. Uh, a couple other things. Uh, I, I had one other story that, that was, it didn't work out like I thought it was going to work out. Uh, I'm, I'm at church one Sunday afternoon, and we had had a guy come visit who, who obviously he looked homeless from the outside, you know, like wearing three or four coats, you know, had his, had his bag of bags with him and his little cart and all that. And uh, he just kept talking. You ever meet somebody like that? You're probably thinking, I met you, Pastor Chris. <laughs> he, the guy wouldn't shut up, and, and he's t- but it was like crazy stuff. Like he's telling us this story. I used to be wealthy, and I had all this stuff, and I'm going here, and I'm doing this. And in the middle of this guy talking, uh, it was one of those like, not the audible voice, but I just knew I heard God. And I, I am not like Mr. Demon-centric guy. Like, I'm not looking for the devil activity. I'm more focused on what's God doing in every situation. But in that moment, this guy wouldn't shut up. God spoke to me and said, this guy has a lying spirit. He's, he's possessed. And I'm like, oh, you know, because that's so out of the ordinary, out of the blue, not where I would get. And it's almost like, God, give me a little whack on the head. And so I stopped this guy. I said, excuse me, sir, you know, would you like the confusion and the noise in your head to just stop? And, and he looked me in the eye and says, no, I'm the captain of my own ship, thank you very much, and then went right back on time. <laughs> and, and so, like, things don't always work out, but we need to listen for God and trust that he's in this situation, and he'll tell us what's going on, what needs to happen. Because, honestly, if somebody doesn't, like, I believe... Jesus died on the cross to give us authority in this earth. And I, I could have said, hey, we're going to have a deliverance session and you're going to get free. But if they didn't want it, you know, there, there's a very literal scriptural precedent for, hey, if this guy, if he would get delivered and didn't want to get saved or didn't make, you know, want to receive the spirit, like the Bible talks about spirits going around and finding seven other more wicked and coming back and, and making the guy's condition the worse than it was at the beginning. So I feel like, hey, when he said, I'm the captain of my own ship, man, I'm, I'm really sorry to hear that, but, you know, I, I don't think I can do anything else for you here. Where, where would you like to go? You know, we ended up giving him a ride to the bus station or the airport or whatever he wanted to have happen. Uh, I don't know his current condition. I just know he had an encounter and an opportunity to get free. And, and that's, part, that's part of our story is we just need to make room for God to move. And, and when we make room and when we acknowledge him and we know he's moving through our life, stuff like that will happen. People will have encounters. You can't control their reaction, but you can be available for God to move and make room for that. Uh, just a couple other things I had for you. Uh, I went, uh, I've, been, I've been on several mission trips. This, this one was probably one of the most profound that was pretty amazing. Uh, I went to Tanzania in 2014 for two weeks and uh, saw all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I, I, I prayed for some blind people. They got their sight back. I prayed, you know, a bunch of people got their backs healed and all this crazy supernatural stuff happening. Uh, one of the most profound moments for me on this trip, though, uh, we were having a, a crusade in this village that was 
This was the headquarters of the false religion. Like whatever the indigenous people, their type of worship, they, they worship this guy called Harambe uh, or Humbeo. Harambe is an African musical group. Humbeo was the bad worship guy. Uh, but where we were ministering was the headquarters. Like they had, you know, the shrine, the, the little wood area where you go back into, they would have this worship. It was a horrible religion. Uh, lots of demonic activity, but it was also very misogynistic. It, uh, basically, the men knew all kind of knew the religion was kind of fake, but none of the women knew. So, so they'd do things like, hey, you know, we're going to go up to the shrine and, you know, the, some guy would go behind the, the wall and blow into a cow's horn. And then the high priest would tell people, this is what the God said. And, and usually it was some version of, hey, the woman that's there, you've been very dishonoring to uh, Humbeo. You, you need to bring two goats and three containers of alcohol and then let all the men use you. Like, not a good thing. And, and even some of the guys there even knew, like, hey, this isn't really right, you know, the way we're treating our women and what's happening here. But that was what they'd known, and because there was demonic stuff attached to it, it was very powerful, you know, almost. You know, we, we go places in town where you could ask 10 different people, what do you believe? And they'll tell you 10 different things, or I'm at 10 different denominations. Everywhere you went here, in, when I was in Tanzania in that, in that village, every 100% of the people were like, hey, even if I've heard something about Jesus or some other religion, I go do this because of the power it has. And so it was, it was very bad stuff. Uh, but we're in this village doing this crusade. And uh, how many of you have ever been in a meeting where you, you had the high priest of a false demonic religion show up at your meeting waving a machete? <laughs> Dave waved, Dave waved his hand, but I know he's very sarcastic. So nobody else, nobody else has had that experience. So, so that's what happened. We're doing this crusade. There's like 700 or 800 people in this field. We're, we're trying to do this crusade, playing some music, going to tell them about Jesus. And the high priest of the religion shows up waving this machete. Like, it's causing chaos. Like, everybody's scattering. Uh, at, at the moment this was happening, uh, they, we had given this altar call and, and given an invitation to come receive healing. How many of you know it is just amazing to go somewhere where people have no grid for who Jesus is? And you get to just go tell them, like, like we sang this morning, he's a really good father. He, he loves you. He, he wants to heal you. He wants to meet you. He wants to come make his home with you. And so stuff's happening because they, they're just believing what you're telling them. And uh, they're meeting Jesus left and right. So we, we kind of extended this invitation for healing. And I'm behind the stage praying with this lady. Uh, and and the, the end result was the, the lady couldn't see. And she was having... Uh, some of these manifestations were like her head had this burning sensation, like not not the Holy Spirit burning when you pray for people, but like the devil tormenting you type of thing. And so she'd, she'd been having this burning, she couldn't see, and then having this pain up and down her body, which was amazing how many times we saw those same symptoms. And, and you start to get in on, hey, this is the devil doing this. Um, so I'm back there praying for her, and later, you know, I, I really felt like, because while I'm praying for her, and, and she ends up, she got saved, healed, and delivered, and, and could see again, had no pain, all this stuff happened. But while I'm back there praying for her is when Machete Man comes breaking into the meeting, and there's people running everywhere. Uh, my friend, Pastor Bob, that was with us, I just hear, I could hear him yelling, Americans, get in the truck, we have to go. And, and we're laughing at him later because we're thinking, Bob, 
we've got Tanzanian friends with us. W- were they supposed to stay and get hacked up while we go get in the tr- Like, what, was, what were you thinking? He's like, oh, I didn't know. I was just like, I knew we needed to leave. So he's yelling, Americans get in the truck. And, and later, God reminded me of the, of the story where, where the, the dad brought his son to Jesus to be healed. And it said the, the devil had possessed the young son and would throw him on the ground. And, and so that's the story where Jesus is talking to the dad. Uh, the dad says, help my unbelief. You guys remember that story. And if you read that story, it says the, the demon threw the boy on the ground while Jesus was talking with the dad. You know what? Jesus wasn't phased at all by what the devil was doing because he was there on assignment to set the dad free from his unbelief. And, and I really felt like that was, that was the picture of God gave me of, hey, here's the devil trying to create chaos, and Jesus' assignment was to set the people free. So even though Americans get in the truck, I finished praying for this lady. She got saved, healed, and delivered. It was awesome. Uh, but needless to say, it, it is a little disconcerting when you're in a foreign land and it's their territory and they've come to, with machetes to your meeting. So we're all wondering, like, what do we do? You know, how's this going to go, God? Are we in danger? Should we leave? Uh, the next day, we go back to the crusade ground and, and where there had been hundreds of people waiting for us the day before, the next day, there's like 30 or 40. And it's mainly just like women and small children. And so we're just like, oh, did... Did the high priest threaten everybody? You know, did they not come back because they're not allowed to? What's going on? And there still ended up being uh, several hundred people by the time we were done with the meeting. But still, it's like, you know, this thing is in the back of your mind of, should, should we keep doing this? You know, God, am I, am I going to keep doing this? Are you here with me? Or do we need to just call it quits and go home? That day, when we left the mission ground, we left the, the place where we were doing the crusade, we have to drive past the little shrine where they worship to, to get back to where we were staying. When we drive past the shrine, there's 50 or 60 warriors, like, on each side of the road sitting there. Like, in their, you know, they all carry their spears, they carry their sticks, and they've got, it kind of looks like the Maasai, if you've ever seen the, the group that lives in Kenya. It was close to that region. So they're lining the roads, and Pastor Bob says, don't stop. Don't stop. Keep driving. I'm like, Bob, we got to work on your faith confession. <laughs> but but Bob, Bob started his ministry as a missionary in Haiti, so he had seen some bad things happen to missionaries and machetes involved. But he, he's panicking. Don't stop. Don't stop. So now we go back, and we're really distraught. You know, we had high, crazy high priests show up. Now we drove past, and we've got all these warriors lying in the streets, and they, they didn't look happy. You know, it wasn't like driving by and they're waving at us it was like driving by and they're all doing that number to us so we we go back and we're like okay god what's gonna happen we're really praying we, we don't know how to go forward the next day we we go to have lunch at, at a house in the region of some people that had invited us and the the guy who was in charge governmentally like he was an elected official from the capital and so he's there in charge of the region he comes to meet with us at the house, and he wants to reassure us. He says, I went to the high priest's house. He says, basically, I threw the book at him. I said, what were you thinking? You have shamed our village. You have shamed our people. Do you want to go back to when they thought we were savages? And, and what, what were you thinking coming to that meeting with the machete? These people are here to help us. And the high priest says, I'm so embarrassed. I was drunk. And I didn't know what I was doing, 
And I haven't left my house for two days because of the shame I feel from what I've done. And we found out that the warriors lining the side of the road, they were having their like tribal council meeting. Like this is the leaders meeting. And the reason they were meeting was because they were talking about how to punish the high priest for bringing shame on their village. And so all these things that we're thinking, oh, these are terrible things and, and we're nervous, we're afraid. God was in it the whole time doing supernatural, miraculous stuff. They end up finding the high priest three cows. Like, yeah, that's a lot of money for us in the States if you ever buy and sell cows. But for them, it's a fortune. And so here, God moved in such a way that it was miraculous. And the people, like besides the revealing he was doing of himself, of healing people, giving them their sight back, taking away their pain, besides all that, he, he publicly humiliated the high priest of the false religion in front of all the people. So we, we have to trust that not only is God providentially ordering our steps, but God, I'm available for you to break in supernaturally. God, for you to do things in, in my story and in my life that, that can't be explained any other way than you're the one that did it. And, and we have to be looking for those things. How, how did I do those things? Like, like obviously it wasn't me doing them. It, it was Jesus doing them while I'm there because he lives in me and I carried him into the situation. But how can we expect those things to happen? And I, I'll tell you the secret. I can do those things because I know that I'm a son and I'm a friend. And, and I'm, I'm confident in those, that part of my identity that, that he has called me his son. Uh, but I know that it goes beyond just being his son. If, if we don't know we're a son and a friend, we can end up like the older brother in the story of the prodigal. You can be a son, be in the house, and just be bitter about how things are going. You know, Father, why didn't you give me the fatted calf to kill with my friends and all this? And, and you remember what the father said to the older brother, like, all this is yours. You, you could have had it any time. And I think part of the secret is we got to know, not only am I a son, but I'm his friend too. Uh, John 15 is a verse I'll read with you, and, and we'll try to land. I, am I okay? You guys are still okay? Nobody's nodded off terribly. Um, John 15, Jesus was talking to the disciples. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything I have learned from my father, I've made known to you. You know, that, that story doesn't just mean uh, you don't serve Jesus anymore. I, I, I serve Jesus all the time. Everything I do is a service to Jesus, but I don't stay in that position of a servant or some translations actually say slave. Because what, how does a servant interact with the master? You just do what you're told. Keep, keep your lips shut. You know, just, just do this task and you don't get to know why. A friend starts to learn the master's ways. Like there are situations I go into now. I'm not hearing an audible voice, but I I'm, I'm kind of have an idea of like, I know what Jesus would like to do in this situation because I'm his friend and I've walked with him and I haven't just done what I've told. I've also learned his ways. And that's the difference between slave and, and friend. So it's like, I know I'm a son. I know I have the rights and privileges of sonship. I know I have access to do all these things he's given me because I'm a son. But I've also learned his ways. And I know I'm a friend. And now I can go to places. And I can, sometimes I'll take a step of faith. And I'll say, like, hey, God, God does this to me sometimes. I'll go to the store and, and not, like, not even a word of knowledge or not even hearing this voice, but I'll, I'll see somebody in a wheelchair or with a leg brace, and I'll be like, man, I, I got this feeling. I just got to go pray for them. And it's like I, I didn't have this audible voice, but I kind of know his ways. 
And, and because I've seen Jesus in the scriptures and I see stories where it says, hey, everywhere he went, he blew up the work of the devil. He healed everybody in the crowd that was sick. And sometimes we really just step out because I know, hey, if, if Jesus were here, he'd want to do this right now. And if I'm honest about it, Jesus is here because he lives in me and I'm here. And so if he would want to do that, maybe I should do the same thing too. So all those, the, the crazy supernatural stories, all of that, it happens because I know I'm a son and I know I'm a friend. And, and it can happen for us, everybody in this room, you can know and do the same thing because he's called us all that together. Uh, gosh, our, our testimony that, that I talked about at the beginning, our testimony has to be more than just a one-time event. You know, our, our testimony is not just, you know, in 1976, you know, sitting on the, the couch in my dad's basement, I gave my heart to Jesus. When, when we start telling stories like that, people are like, I wasn't even alive in 1976. What did Jesus do last week? Come on. Have we ever had that experience? And if, if we reduce our testimony to just being, here's when I got saved, people don't connect with that. People want to know how is Jesus alive and what he's doing right now. And our testimony is not just a one-time event. Our testimony is looking at all these steps of how God has ordered our lives, the miraculous things, the things that seem mundane, but later we look at his hand in it and we say, thank you, God. And we fashion that as our story and we begin to share it with people. And that's our testimony. God, God is not done writing your story. Paul, Paul talks about, hey, each of you, you're a letter written on the heart of your, the tablet of your heart for all men to read about what Jesus is doing. God's not done writing our story. Any one of us, individually or corporately, you know, this church, God's not done writing the story here. And what we need to realize is, hey, sometimes he may turn the page. He may start a new chapter. There, how many of you have stories, parts of your life that, hey, I'd like to delete those chapters? Could we tear those pages out of the book and not include them? God's using it all. And, and sometimes he may be turning and writing a new chapter, but we have to trust, Lord, you are, you are adding to my story, even today, right now. What, what I'm going to do this week, it's you writing something new in my life to be able to share with people. It's, it's not, I love my, I love telling stories. I love the testimonies. I love the things Jesus has done in my life. I get excited about them, but I know they're not just for me. Uh, every one of us, the story that God's writing in our lives isn't just for us to feel good about our own story. It's for us to share, to tell people Jesus is real. This is what he's done in my life. This is what he could do in your life too. Because the, the world is suffering, wanting to know. Uh, I, I do tell this to our people sometimes too. It's, it's an amazing fringe benefit that Jesus takes care of our situation in the afterlife. Right? Most people in life though, they aren't thinking about afterlife. They want to know, how does Jesus affect my here and now life? I think that's part of the testimony. Eternal life is not just, I don't believe eternal life is a time frame endeavor. I think eternal life is a quality of life that starts the moment you meet Jesus. And he changes our, our circumstances and what's going on in us. You, you may still be in the same hard spot after you get saved that you were before you get saved, but there should be something that transforms in you that enables you to walk through it now. People are hungry and looking for that. What's going to affect my life right now? And that's part of our story that we have to share, that Jesus is writing in our lives. We get to tell people, here's how, here's how he's moved and changed my life in the here and now. And he can do the same thing for you. Does that make sense to everybody? 
Because I, I do, I've seen people like you, you start talking or, or wanting to tell them about heaven and people space out. Like, well, I, I've got bills. You know, my, we're thinking about getting a divorce. You know, my neighbor wants to kill me. Like what people are thinking about these, I got problems right now that I need to know how to solve. And you know what? Jesus is the answer for those problems too. And, and we need to make our faith very practical and, and let people know here's how he's moved in my life and here's what he can do for you also. Uh, let's go ahead and stand and I'll have Paul come back up and we'll just sing to go out. Thank you guys for being gracious and just let me tell some stories. You know, honestly, that's, that's, I'm a little more teachy than that usually, but I felt like God really just wanted to encourage you guys with some of the stories that I've been through and I've experienced. And what I want to do before we leave is I just want to pray for you. If there's uh, anything in your life where you've been discouraged or, or you haven't been able to see Jesus, I, I really, I believe if we don't see Jesus in our life moving in a situation, we need to go back and look again. There's, there's, if we're not aware of him and see his hand at work, there's something the matter with our perception of it. And, and we need to go back and say, Lord, I need to see you. Where are you in this moment and what are you doing? So if you've ever been in that place where you've been discouraged or you feel like, hey, God's forgotten my story or it's come to an end and I don't see how to go forward, uh, I just want you to receive this prayer this morning. Father, we come before you right now in the name of Jesus. And I thank you, Lord, that you care so deeply about the, the everyday details of our lives. Things, things that others may not care about, things that people may think seem mundane and worthless. You care about the details. And God, I ask that you would release just supernatural encouragement over everyone in this room this morning, that, that we would be in, instilled with a confidence that you are at work in our lives. God, where, there, where there's been times where we haven't acknowledged you or we haven't seen your ways, Lord, forgive us for that and give us fresh eyes to see you at work and hearts that are thankful for what you're doing in our lives. God, I ask that you would remind every single person in this room that no one has been abandoned, no one has been turned loose to just figure out things on their own but you actually dwell with us. You walk right there with us through the midst of every single circumstance. And God, collectively, we just say thank you. We just, we just honor you for the things that we have seen your hand moving in our lives. Lord, we, we acknowledge that you are a good God that, that loves us and that you are ordering our steps. God, even as, as we listen to other stories, and we want to honor and understand what they're saying. Lord, give us the boldness and the understanding of how to share and just tell people how great you are and what you've done in our lives. Jesus, I thank you that you love. You love relentlessly, Lord God. You, you pursue, you love no matter what. Give us that same passion for people that we would be willing to share our stories with them and help them meet you too. God, I, I thank you for the people assembled in this room this morning. I just ask that even, even as we go from this place, Lord, we would be encouraged by being in your presence, that we would be stirred by testimonies that were shared this morning, Lord. I thank you that uh, when we share testimonies, it creates an atmosphere for you to come do it again, that it releases faith, it stirs things in people. Let us go from this place encouraged in our faith and stirred by the, the possibilities of what you can do in and through our lives. Lord, bless us indeed. 
Even as we go, Lord, let your face continue to shine on us. Let your goodness, let your mercy overtake us in everything that we do. And let your life be seen in the midst of our life. We just honor you. We love you this morning, Lord Jesus, and we give you glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing a song. And uh, after we sing, Paul's just going to dismiss you to go your way. But thank you so much for being here this morning. And uh, bless you guys. Love you. Thank you for listening. I'm just going to sing a little melody here. Listen to our hearts. Hear our spirits sing. Listen to the song of praise that flows from those who have redeemed. We can use the words we know to tell you what an awesome God you are. Words are not enough to tell you of our love. Listen to our Listen to our hearts, hear our spirits sing, yeah, listen to the song of praise that flows from those you have redeemed. We can use the words we know to tell you what an awesome God, you are, when words are not enough to tell you of our love, listen to our hearts. We can use the words we know to tell you what an awesome God you are, when words are not enough to tell you of our Listen to us. Words are not enough to tell you of our love. Listen to our hearts. And I exalt thee. I exalt thee. I Exalt oh, Lord, and I exalt Thee. I exalt Thee. I exalt Thee. Oh.
If you have to go get kids or whatever, if you just want to stay in the presence of the Lord, by all means, you're welcome. But, uh, church, go do what you have to do. Go in peace. God bless you.